Hey, this is Sammy Flores. I'm the pastor at Coin Church in Chino, California, and this is our podcast. I'm so grateful you're tuning in. I hope this encourages you and calls you to more because you were made for more. Here's our latest message. Awesome. Before we uh, go any further, I want to honor um, my pastor, Pastor Jack Miranda. He's here at the front. He, um, he, re- he reminded us that, that technically this is Coin's birthday. Um, and, and I just love that he had that in his notes in the books, you know. Um, but Pastor Jack, we honor you. We love you. Thank you. He, Pastor Jack married Kelly and I in December. It'll be 10 years. And so we're just grateful to have you. Thank you for being a mentor um, and a pastor in my life. I'll never forget when I was a youth pastor, I met him right across the street um, <clears throat> off the 55 freeway where the fairgrounds are in Costa Mesa. And I sat down with him. I said, I feel God's calling me to plant a church. And um, b- before we got up, he shook my hand and he said, all right, pastor of Coin Church. Yeah. And I just, I'll never forget um, just the encouragement. He's, he's, he's just a reminder of love, of love and encouragement. So thank you, pastor. We honor you. Love you. So um, today I, I want to talk about, if you were here last week, we, uh, we opened the scriptures to the book of Romans. So if you have your Bibles or anything that, you know, you have for your scripture, if you want to open up with me to the book of Romans, it's sort of a part two to what we talked about last week. So in the book of Romans chapter 12, we, we, um, we had a conversation about what it looks like to sacrifice all of who you are, your entire being. And so if we were to read the scripture, I want to read it again, just verses one and two of chapter 12. It says, I urge you, Brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And we learn that worship is not just coming to sing a song, although it is, it's embodiment of who you are. It's every act. It's taking worship into your workspaces. It's in your business. It's how you use your finances. It's how you treat your family, it's an all an act of worship because it's an embodiment of who we are. We are to sacrifice everything. And then it says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So if we were to jump to verse 9, how does this look? If our minds are renewed, being renewed on a regular basis, as we lean on God, as we offer our lives, our being, every part of who we are to him as worship, and we begin to shift and change by the renewal of God's word, by sitting under teaching, and as the spirit of God moves in our life, what does it actually practically look like? And so if you start in verse 9, it's, it's very practical steps. Even some theologians, I, I was I was um, going back and forth by just reading verses 9 to 13 because just those verses have 12 basic like practical steps towards love in action. But I want to read verse 9 all the way to 21. So let's read that together. It says this. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, and share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. 
Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another and do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And this is hard. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. And on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will keep burning coals on his head. In other words, he'll be frustrated by your kindness. Do not overcome evil. By, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Paul sort of lays out this exhaustive list. It's not just an exhaustive list. It's practical steps as an example to a way of life for a disciple of Jesus. And that's what I want to talk to you today about. What does it look like to be a disciple of Jesus in a very practical form? And so Paul will lay out to us today really what it looks like with love in action. As you look at this, uh, theologians would suggest is sort of like the law of Christ, right? So when you look at this, as we read it, it's, again, it's like very practical. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Don't repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. It's very practical. And it's, it's almost in connection, some theologians would say, and in, in some part sums up the Sermon on the Mount. So remember, Jesus was an actual teacher. We need to know this. He lived as a human being. He was fully man, fully God. But sometimes we forget that he was a man, and in his day and age, as a rabbi, he was a teacher. So if he's a teacher, well, what is he a teacher of? He's a teacher really for your soul, for the ways of life, how to live life as a person here on earth and as Jesus would talk about in the Sermon on the Mount, oftentimes it says, the kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of God is like this. So he's ushering in, in his teaching, a new way to live. Hence, we must offer our entire lives as a living sacrifice to him. We must not be conformed by this culture, but by the culture of heaven. So instead of going through each one, because there's a lot, I want to hit on a few. These ways or characteristics or group of statements or sort of building blocks that mold a person into the person of Jesus with his way and his reign for our lives. First, the way of Jesus or the law of Jesus via Romans 12 or Jesus' Sermon on the Mount even, if not drenched in love, will not and cannot work. I want to I really hit on this for a moment. If we, we were just talking about this in our, our 9 a.m. gathering, there's a statistic, if you were to look at, you know, sort of like Christian statistic and what's happening with like the church and the world, it's a study called Barna. So if you were just type in Barna.com, you'll be able to see all these statistics that are formed around the U.S. within Christlikeness and discipleship and Gen Z and Gen X and all the gens. And what something is so interesting is when you look at the statistic Americans today, 60% claim that they are, quote, Christian. That's actually like a good number, right? 
But if you were to like go a little bit more in depth to that, 4% are actually practicing Christians. And so I, I sort of have a love-hate relationship right now towards the word Christian. Not that it's a bad thing, but we've just, it doesn't hold much weight right now. And I, I think that when you look at the way of Jesus, of course, Christian means little Christ. And we ought to be little Christ. But when you look at the word disciple, oh, that's someone who's practicing the way of Jesus. If I am a disciple of Jesus, what I am claiming is that I want to reorientate all of my life, my finances, my thoughts, my body, my political perspectives, the way that I view X, Y, and Z towards the way of Jesus because his teaching shows me how to live as a human being. And so when we say I'm a Christian, well, what does that mean now? Like really, what does that mean? I like the word disciple. I know I'm a disciple of Jesus. I am under my rabbi who teaches me the way of life. And again, not a dig. We're all Christians for those who claim Christ-likeness. Nothing wrong with that. But I just want to push against the cultural narrative right now that if 60% are claiming this and only 4% are practicing, well, what does it look like then to practice the way of Jesus? Paul will lay this out. But I would argue that if it is first not drenched in love, then you become a Pharisaic disciple of Jesus, meaning you're all religious. You have all the answers. You're sort of prideful and pompous and walk around and have all, you know. And let me show you, friend, in the Bible where it's wrong and why you're wrong and why I'm right. And, and it's, it's very judgmental, though there's nothing wrong with that. And I, I picked on, you know, Kevin. I'll pick him on, on him for the second gathering. It's imagine, imagine I don't really know Kevin. And he's coming to coin and I see him at a distance. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know, there's Kevin. And, and then I start seeing his social media posts and. And then I notice, you know, how he's talking to people, and maybe he's, like, really rude and disrespectful, and he's just doing crazy stuff, and then his wife tells me he's, like, wild, right? This, this is not Kevin, by the way. <laughs> but imagine I didn't know him, and, I, and, I'm not pa- and I'm not the pastor at this moment, like, just to say hypothetically, and I sit down with him, and I'm like, hey, man, let's go get coffee. I want to sit down and talk with you. You know, lately, you've been, man, are you a Christian, by the way? Well... <laughs> Let me show you in the Bible all the things you're doing wrong, man. And you need to understand that if you don't repent of your ways, you're going to hell, Kevin. Now, it, am, it, could that be right? Sure, but there's a lot of holes to that. There's a lot of broken, that's not being led by love. And the reason why I say this is because if we get too in our way of I have to call people out and we don't know how to be in relationship with people. You're not doing it the way of Jesus. When you look at Jesus, he walked with people. When you look at Jesus, I'll say it this way. To sit at a table in the the Eastern culture in his day and age, when you look at the historical analysis, when you sat at a table with someone, you were saying, I want to do life with you. And yet Jesus would sit down with, with prostitutes and sinners. This is why one of the reasons he was put on the cross. You don't do that. 
We are holy and we separate ourselves from the common folk if they're not holy. And so the problem with this perspective is you can do it, but if it's not done in love, it doesn't hold much weight, right? I mean, I, I don't know about you, but, but I, I can speak from experience because I was that guy that would do that to Kevin's. <laughs> and yet in my own brokenness and mess up and my own issues, I would somehow seem like I was better than others. But yet, Paul starts off, and he says, no, love must be sincere. You see, if you're a man or a woman of hate or of judgment or criticism, that doesn't help. If you want to show others you're right and they are wrong, that doesn't help. Then, my, my, my thing is, I believe you'll get in the way of Jesus. So, I, I um, remember when we, when we planted Pastor Jack, um, even before that, we were doing Bible studies at my mom's house, and I was young. I was like 19 years old, and then I went to be a youth pastor, and then that's when I felt like I was called to come back to Chino, and I knew I had much baggage from living in the city, you know, and uh, I had my own mess-ups in high school and what people would think of me, and yet I just, I was like, no, I just want to reach people, and I felt like God was calling us back to our hometown. And so I remember, I'll never forget, there was sort of like some critics coming around as we started Bible studies and as we would give teaching. And one of them was on the premise of, well, you're, you sound like you're too loving. And I'm like, what do you mean by that? And I, I have to bring it up um, because it's a bit of an interesting topic, right, within our day and age. But one of the first questions that this group or individual would ask me was like, well, then what's your view on homosexuality? I'm like, what does the Bible say about it, man? That's my view. What does the scripture say? I don't, I don't bend to my way. I bend to the scripture's way. I, I have a fidelity, a love for doctrine in his way. Now, that doesn't mean, though, that I'm going to go around and yelling at people and getting upset with people and putting up signs with people. I will choose to do the way of Jesus, and he definitely didn't do that. And I remember he was upset with me. He's like, no, you need to say it. I'm like, well, all, yeah, I'll say it, man. It's in the Bible. You can read it too. And then I took him to the scripture and I said, I want, I want to, because I, I could feel, and this is, my, this is my frustration with, quote, Christians. Oftentimes in mine and Kelly's, like, journey of discipleship to Jesus, the most critics come from Christians. It's not usually people that don't believe in God. It's usually the ones that believe in God that have the most to say. And I'll never forget, I sat down with this individual, and, you know, we wanted to go back and forth. And I said, hey, man, you know that passage of Scripture where Jesus, um, he's brought between the, amongst the Pharisees, and they catch a woman in the act of adultery. And they throw her at, at the feet of the Pharisees, and Jesus is in the room. He's in the space outside. And they're like, Jesus... By the law, this woman who was caught in the act of adultery should be stoned to death. And so Jesus has something to say about that, about sin and about brokenness. And the Bible says, because he, he says this, he says, well, those who are without sin, you've never sinned in your life before, go ahead and throw the first stone there. And the scripture says from the oldest to the youngest, they begin to leave. Probably because the older you live, the more you know you're like not perfect and jacked up, right? <laughs> So the Bible says from the oldest to the youngest, they leave. And then Jesus is there just with the woman. And it's frustrating because where was the man then that was caught? 
Now, we like to have our own uh, narrative, our, our own way of doing things. But yet, I think the man is just as much as responsible as the woman. But that's just how they did it in the Old Testament, right? In the New Testament, women were brought at a very low. In the, I need you to understand this. In the scriptures, especially as Paul's writing to the churches, and we hear things about women to be silent, X, Y, and Z, which a side note, I believe in women in ministry. It's just, it's just a side note. Well, here's why. A woman in the New Testament, in Paul's era, this is why you need to understand historical context. This is why you need to know the Roman Empire and what they thought. This is why as I was in Bible school, I was learning about Rome and about Persia and about Nero and about all these things and people and places, even outside of Israel, because I soon realized that a woman was lower than a slave. Did you know that? They were viewed lower than a slave. That's just a side note. I don't even know why I'm getting on a tangent. But my point is, the way of love, the way of love, I just want to do it the way Jesus does it. And I've noticed Jesus wouldn't come. I, I, I don't know. Maybe he, I'll just speak for myself. I wouldn't sit down with Kevin and say, Kev, you know, let me show you blah, blah, blah. No, I want to take on the way of Jesus and be in relationship with Kevin. The longer that I walk with someone, the longer you walk with me, we begin to learn the way of Jesus together because that's how Jesus did it, which, by the way, I said earlier, when Jesus would invite people to follow him, he had many following, women included, and many disciples, and he'd be like, okay, a lot of people are following me around. I got to give some truth because they need to know the cost, and so he would say, in the scripture, you need to understand if you're not willing to leave your mother, your father, your brother, or sister, you're not fit for the kingdom. You need to understand that this is a sacrifice, so you have to be willing to pick up your own cross. Remember cultural context. Rome, that was the worst death ever in that time. Pick up my cross. What are you trying to say, Jesus? I don't know if I can follow you. That's hard. So Jesus would speak with love, but he would always speak with truth. He was both tough and he was both tender. My point with all of this is we need to learn how to be people of love. We need to learn how to walk with one another. When we have critical posture and critical mindset and always trying to put someone down, we get in the way of Jesus. Now, it's different if you're walking with me or Kevin, right? He's like, hey, man, um, it's been a couple of months and like, I noticed you're talking like this. Well, let me show you in scripture, like, where that's at. That individual is going to know Kevin loves them. Does that make sense? So I would say it's impossible unless you're willing um, in all of this to be formed by God, right? So here, here, here goes the first one. Love must be completely sincere. There must be no hypocrisy, no play acting, no ulterior motive. There is such a thing as cupboard love. Have you heard of that, that saying? It's basically insincere affection. The term cupboard love is a British idiom used most commonly in the United Kingdom, and it describes the selfish, greedy, or insincere affection displayed towards another person in order to get what they want. So it's love that becomes incredibly selfish, whose aim is to get far more than it is to give, which, side note, sounds a lot like lust. Lust is what I can get from you to make me feel good. The way of, of, the, the, the way of Jesus, and G, the Jesus way of love is cleansed of self. 
It is a pure outgoing of the heart to others. So there is no ulterior motive here. There is no game or strategy in our love for one another. So this love must be completely sincere. I also have just um, another side note story, just so hopefully this, this makes sense. Because I was that guy that, you know, I grew up in church. You've heard this. You know, my mom would send me to all the, the junior high camps, and I had to go to them. And, and I learned the scripture, and I knew the word. And I'll never forget, for those that went to Chino High School with me, you probably know this story or have heard of it. Or we'll be able to put some, you know, stuff together. I wanted to be a part of the Christian club, I think my junior or senior year. And, you know, I, I was sort of getting back to the way of Jesus. But I knew the word. I knew how to quote scripture. I grew up in church. If we were going to do like a, a Bible battle, I, I would win. <laughs> I, I thought I would, right? And so I had some friends that were really big on going to church and Jesus. And then I had others that didn't. And so I'm like, I want to be a part of the Christian club. You know, I want to be a part of the leadership team. And I'll never forget I sit down, and they have, like, interview style. It's, like, serious. And they're like, well, what, you know, can you quote some scripture? What do you believe about Jesus? And I'm like, oh, I got this. I'm quoting all this scripture memorized. I lay out the whole gospel. I need them to know that I know. And they're like, okay, thanks. You know, we'll give you a call. We'll talk about it as a team. We'll pray about it. And I'll never forget, I get a call from the, the Christian club president. And some of you know who he is, and I love him, and I'm so grateful he did this. He called me, and he said, hey, you know, Sam, he's a real loving guy. Hey, you, hey, what's up, bro? Hey, man, I just want to, you know, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing good, man. What's going on? You know, we were just kind of praying and talking, and, you know, Sam, we definitely know you know the scripture, and, and you know, you, you love God, but, man, we can't bring you on the team. We can't bring you as a leader in the Christian club. Oh, well, why not? You know, your, your lifestyle, man, it's not adding up. And so, you know, we, you know, Sam, like, you know, the girls, and you go to the dances, and you're, you're at these places, and, you know, everyone's on their journey, though, but, you know, we know you're struggling with this area. And I'll never forget, even my mom was upset. I, I was a bit upset. Why? Because I had so much pride. I was so arrogant. I thought I was good, but if I'm being honest, I wasn't. I'm grateful for that leadership that said, no, no, not right now, man. And so my point is, the problem is, as Christians, we could either be one end or the other. We can be conceited or we can be loving. I'm just grateful that I have had people in my life to call me out. Do you have anyone that does that for you? And if they do, do you get really upset? Do you get arrogant and prideful and conceited and like, well, how on earth could I do anything wrong? Let me say something about what you do wrong. That's usually when you need some more Jesus in you. <laughs> There's another uh, verse as we kind of go in another direction. Verse 12, it says, we are to rejoice in hope. When Alexander the Great was uh, setting upon, out upon one of his campaigns, he was distributing all kinds of gifts to his friends. In his generosity, he had given away nearly all his possessions. Sir, said one of his friends, you'll have nothing left for yourself. Oh, yes, I have, said Alexander. I still have my hopes. You see, I believe that as a disciple of Jesus, one thing we need to know, we were talking about trust in Psalm 20, is that we have all of the hope of the world. That whatever situation I go through, I know that 
God might not be like the genie in the bottle to fix whatever is going on, but I know he's with me. And as long as I know that my God is with me, I have hope. As long as I know I have someone to fall back on and to lean on and that his ways are much bigger than my ways, I have hope. As long as I know when the winds come, the rain comes, when the brokenness might come to my door, my home, I know I have hope because my hope is not in a person or a politician or a people, it's in Jesus. My hope resides in him and him alone. So I would say Jesus' people must be essentially optimists. Do you hear that? I'll say it another way. Jesus' people need to be hopeful people. Just because God is God, we need to know this. Christians are always certain, and I love this saying, the best is yet to come. Have you heard that? Sometimes like, come on, man. Like, if you're a pessimist, really, really, the, the best is yet to come. Or if you're an optimist, no, the best is yet to come. No, I, I, I will always choose to believe that God can do whatever he wants, and there's always hope with God. If there's 100 people in the room, I'm going to be the one that says, no, I have hope. I believe that we can do this. Well, you know, I don't think we should do this because X, Y, and Z. Well, I think we should do this because of X, Y, and Z. I have hope to believe. So I believe Jesus' people must be essentially optimists because we should rejoice in hope. Because we know the grace that is sufficient in all things and the strength that is made perfect in our weakness. And all of that comes from the strength of God. Disciples know that no task is too much for them. There are no hopeless situations in life. There are only men and women who have grown hopeless about themselves. There can never be any such thing as a hopeless disciple of Jesus. The next would be serving the Lord or serve the Lord. It meets the demand of the hour, another representation could say. And without going into all of the Greek and why it's a shift, the ancient manuscripts vary between two readings here. Some read serve the Lord and some read serve the time or grasp your opportunities. In a section so filled with practical advice, because this is very practical, right? You guys with me on that? <laughs> it is more likely that Paul was saying to his people, seize your opportunities as they come. Life presents us with all kinds of opportunities. I believe, I'm a firm believer in this, that determination creates opportunity. I do believe this. So it's like, imagine you wake up and you don't have a job and you need to like take care of your family. And we live in California, in Southern California, so we have a lot of opportunity. We have a lot of, um, we have a lot, we're very lucky to be Americans, I'll say it that way. Like especially just, you know, being in Africa and seeing what they have and being here, we got... We shouldn't be complaining about anything, to be honest. That's just, that's just my opinion. So imagine you wake up in the morning. You're like, I don't have a work. Well, there's a lot of different opportunities. You can find work, friend. <laughs> but it's like, well, I'm going to pray. God, give me work. I have hope to believe. You're so good. You know, I just know you're going to bring me a job. But there's no determination. and You don't go and try to find work. Well, much oppor- there's, there's not going to be hardly any opportunity from that, Right? Or you're a man that says, no, I'm going to take care of my family. I'm going to pray and believe that God would give me favor with man, that he's going to open up doors. It might not be the job that I want, but I need a job. And then you go and look for work. You go and find a job. You go and work your butt off and take care of your family. 
I would argue there's more opportunity that will arise from that determination. But imagine, let's, let's go one depth further. Imagine you have a posture that says, this is me serving you, God. This is my worship unto you. I am grateful. I will do whatever I can to take care of what I need to take care of. But I know at the end of the day, you're going to take care of me, God. We must seize our opportunities as they come. The opportunity to learn something new or to cut out something. The opportunity to speak a word of encouragement or of a warning. The opportunity to help or to comfort. One of the tragedies of life is that we so often fail to grasp these opportunities when they come. There are three things which do not come back. A spent arrow, the spoken word, and a lost opportunity. Three things, I'll say that again. A spent arrow, the spoken word, and a lost opportunity. Those we cannot get back. So let's look at one more, one that we all struggle with at some level. It says, do not be haughty. Do not become proud. Associate with the lowly or give yourselves to the humble tasks. Um, this is one that I'm like really passionate about because I just was taught ever since I was young like to always have the, the quote lowest seat in the house. I just believe that when Jesus says, the Bible says, I, I oppose the proud, but I raise the humble. I think he was serious when he said that. And so what happens is, and we need to be very careful of this, there is a, a man in like ancient times, probably the time of Constantine and the Roman Empire, when they sort of made Christianity the religion of Rome. People became like 60, 70, 80% Christians, but there was only a handful of practicing Christians. And so were there, there were like these monks that emerged, right? Sometimes we have like a negative view of these monks, but they were actually very serious in their discipleship to Jesus. One of them was a man named Evagoras Ponticus. And what he came out with, long story short, are seven deadly sins, seven, eight deadly sins. One of them, he says, is the most deadliest sin, is arrogance, is pride. In that, you have all the answers, that kind of pride. Could you, and that, I would say, those are the ones that get in the way of Jesus the most. I have all of the answers. I know all of the scripture. You are wrong and I am right. Let me show you, friend, in the Bible where you're wrong. And there's hardly any love with that. And so we become so arrogant because we feel like we know or we've been walking with Jesus for X amount of years. And so we, we become Pharisees or Sadducees. We become legalists. And it takes away from, I would say, the way of love, the way of Jesus. I would also say, I've said this before, you know, one thing I love about Pastor Jack is, uh, I, I just would say the older he gets, the longer I've been walking with him, he just becomes a more loving person. He's just more loving. And I want to pick on Pastor Jack because he's been walking with Jesus basically longer than I've been alive. I love that. I believe we need more men and women like that. I can't wait for the day where we have many gray hairs in the room. Honestly, and you can go up to someone if you're 22 years old and you can shake a hand with a man named Jack and he could say, son, I've been walking with Jesus for 40 years. 
I've been walking with Jesus for 50 years. And I would propose, when you look at the way of Jesus, that person who's been walking that long with Jesus should be a person of love. Not of arrogance, not of bitterness, not of you're wrong, I'm right, but a person who desires relationship to walk with you. Even, um, even Kelly yesterday with um, one of her relatives, a real strong man, like a manly man, doesn't cry. She even had noticed, she said, oh, the older he gets, he just, he's become more emotional. Well, yeah, because you see life. You see that life isn't as serious as, you, as it should be. That life is fleeting, that it comes, it's here one day and it's gone the next. So why would I live my life with judgment and criticism and maliciousness? Why? And that's why Paul says, don't be haughty, don't be proud, don't think you have it all together. Associate with the lowly. I think, you know, a fix for humility, if you're like, yeah, I kind of struggle with pride, I don't really know how to fix that. Well, you don't just wake up one day and say, I'm humble now, you know? Well, are there, is there a people group that you can't stand or a race you can't stand or a socioeconomical space, the rich or the poor you, don't, you can't stand? Then I would say go serve those people. Go get low. Go be like Jesus and offer your hands and feet to, the, to them and say, how can I be of service to you? Then when you start to do that, you become humble. Or more practically, to the men in the room, this is for myself too because Kelly will do it sometimes and I feel so bad, like take out the trash. It's just an example. You know, it's like, oh, I don't want to take out the trash. They're like, you know, it'll just happen. Well, when you start to do things like that, you become more humble in the most practical of terms. We should never be above anything or anyone. That, my friend, is not the way of Jesus. The scripture says, never be conceited. Proverbs 3, 7 says, do not be wise in your own eyes. I, I, um, I, don't, I wouldn't want to take a survey, but when you look at the word wisdom, I've talked about this before. You know, Jesus said, um, a wise man, you know, builds his house on a solid foundation. When the wind, when the rain comes and it crashes, the foundation is there, and he built his house off something solid. A fool builds off, you know, sand. And so when you look at wisdom, wisdom, I would say, think of, if you could just think about someone in your life right now, doesn't matter how old they are, maybe a little bit older, that has great relationship with people in their life. They have worked out relationship. They aren't hated by a lot of people. They're healthy and, and different personalities. They're just a person that is loving and knows how to deal with others. I would propose that person has wisdom. Now, of course, the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But when you walk with God long enough, you begin to learn not just about you, but about others. And how to love others. And how to walk with others. And how if Johnny has a problem with me, I don't just cut Johnny out of my life. I walk with him. We have conversation. And I just think that the more we learn to do that, the more we become people of wisdom because it's led and it's energized by love and wrestling things out with one another. So when you have an enemy, 
or a person who does you wrong. Notice, if it is possible and as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That is a very difficult one to ask, Paul. Like, geez, really, Jesus? You want me to do that? But notice it says, if it's possible. (laughs) And I said this in the first gathering, and it's important to remind all of us, if you claim that you are a disciple of Jesus, do you know that the Bible says you and I are ministers of reconciliation, meaning we cannot hold bitterness or grudge or resentment towards someone else? As a minister of reconciliation, I can't do that. Did you know that? Now, basically, you need to learn how, learn how to forgive. That doesn't mean you forget, right? That should be the goal. But there are sometimes offenses where people do things that are really painful. Jesus would say, Paul would say, the writers of scripture would say, forgive. Forgive. That doesn't mean you have to like be buddy-buddy. It doesn't mean you have to go and get dinner with them every Wednesday night. It just means you ought to forgive that person and give them up to God. I know this is kind of hard, right, for being honest? But these are very practical steps of a way of, of a disciple of Jesus. So I can understand now why in verse 2, chapter 12, verse 2 of Romans, it requires you to be a living sacrifice. This is why. Because all of my thoughts and my emotions and my body and my being and my mind must be subject to the way of God, to the way of Jesus. My ways must eventually go and his way is supreme. So this is what that means. And how do I show holiness and how do I please God then? Well, don't let your love just be words. Let your love be an action. Worship, you guys can come on up. I, uh, I want to give a challenge to every person in the room. And, and like really like a true challenge. Like if you really want to do this, then I think you should do it. I would, I'm going to challenge you to go to one person. If you're in a part of community and you see someone on a regular basis, ask one person in your life that is kind. <laughs> Make sure they're kind. They love God. And ask them, is there any area of my life that I need to fix or work on? Is there any blind spots? Do I come off as arrogant? Do I come off as unkind? Do I come off as rude or disrespectful? Do I make it seem like I have it all together? Now, if you struggle with pride, that's probably going to be really hard for you to do. So this is a good way to start practicing humility. But ask someone in your life. Hey, is there any blind spots that you could challenge me in? And just lean in as an invitation from Jesus so that you can start working and practice and shift things and change your habits towards who God is in your life. Does that sound good? Amen. You guys can go ahead and stand with me as we finish in worship. I know that conversations like this are not always the easiest, but I would argue they're incredibly necessary. A prayer that I have on a, on a regular basis is that we wouldn't simply, you know, fill chairs in a room. I think that's awesome. It, it shocks me every week. You know, you got to remember we're used to uh, sometimes our room not being as big, and so 
I like to know every person's name. And I'm starting to learn that I have limits. <laughs> I might not know everybody's name. And um, there's even times where, here's my confession, I'm like, oh, is this your first time? And you're like, no, I've been here like four or five weeks. <laughs> and so it's a blessing that, like, you know, there's, there's a draw to this community. I'm grateful for that. But I just want to make something really clear. If you desire to become radically transformed into the person of Jesus, you're going to really love this place. You really will. But, but if, you, if you want a chiller agenda here, critical, or think that your way is going to be better, if you want to change things and move things around or be critical or judgmental, or, or if you feel like, oh, I just want to come because it's a good church or I like this music, you're probably not going to enjoy this space a lot. Why? Because someone will challenge you along the journey. This is our commitment as we meet as a leads team. We, the conversation we had was there's, there's a lot of new faces. How do we continue to connect with new people? How do we continue to walk and disciple new people? And I just, I mean, I, Pastor Jack has told me this. Many people in the room, Maddie has told me this. Like, I can't be, Eric's told me this. I can't be 100 places at one time. I can't disciple every person in the room. But I could do my best to present the word of God to you with fear and reverence and honor. I am terrified every time I open up this book. I honestly am. There's times where I feel like, gosh, I, like someone else Kelly, can you preach? Because I fear God. I, I fear and I believe, not, not I'm scared, but I have a reverence for him. And I believe that if we could become a people of Jesus, we can transform a city. We can transform a state. We can be the type of people that say, man, I don't care what the culture says. I know we might agree to disagree, but I still love you. You're welcomed in this place. And even if I, I'm sorry for doing this publicly, man. If I could shout out Ron, he just told me earlier, he's like, man, I want to get baptized. I'm ready to get baptized. And, yeah. and, my, and my thing with this is, there's nothing that Sam could do or Kelly or any person in this room that is only the work of the Spirit of God. And so I want to be where God's at. Does that make sense? God reigns. God rules. God is the chief cornerstone of this church. Jesus is the king. So his way goes. Sorry. It's not, well, let me take this part out. Let me rip this. Oh, this makes me a little bit uncomfortable. No. It's the word of God. I worship God in, quote, spirit and truth. And so if that's, that's a wrestle, that's okay. It's a relationship. I want to walk with Jesus. This is not a linear journey. It's point A and then point B, and then when I'm at point B, then I really start. No, it's, it's all over the place, discipleship to Jesus. But if you, as your own person individually, can say, God, you're my rabbi. Jesus, you're not Pastor Sam, not Pastor Kel, not the people in the church. Yes, we need people to encourage us. We need shepherds. But you, God, are my ultimate shepherd. So you have access. This is not the Roman, Empire, the Roman church, you know, when Martin Luther Jr. came in. You can read the Bible. You can have it, man. We'll buy you one. You can read this. 
and you can experience the goodness of God. You can read the Gospels and see how magnificent Jesus was. And then you can open to the book of Acts and see it alive in people like you and me. We get to bear the spirit of truth, the spirit of God. So that's the type of church I want to be a part of. So can you be challenged by one person this week? Just one person. Hey, you know, how am I doing with this Jesus thing? Is there anything I need to work on? I'm going to humble myself for a moment. Anything. And don't bite back. Don't snap back. Just receive it. And then I've learned, then take that to Jesus and say, Jesus, what do you say about this? But we will not grow unless we challenge where we're at on the journey. That's the renewal of your mind that's embodied through the Spirit of God. Does that sound good? Well, uh, we're going to invite our elders up. Um, Maddie and Brandon, if you guys can come with, that'd be great. And we're just, if anyone needs prayer, um, if it's something good in your life, if you want to, you know, hey, I, I need prayer for this, I just ask that you pray that, that God would move. We believe in prayer in this church, we believe in the power of the Spirit of God in this church. And so if you need prayer, great, come, come up and pray. If not, you know, then lean in. We're going to have a time we just call a time of ministry. Where if you just want to sit and, and worship, it's, you know, we've passed 11. I know Super Bowl, so if you got to go, we love you. You know, go Taylor Swift's team. I'm sorry, kidding. Bad timing. Bad timing. But, but if we're going to worship, we love you guys. If You're dismissed if you'd like to go. If not, if you want to stay and pray, we love you. God bless you. We'll see you next week.